Hey, good people, this is Sherry and I, Dom, back with another reflection. And this is a personal journal for contemplative people looking to think, grow, and have impact in the world. So, hey. In between beer and a basement and a Napa Valley vacation, in between hometown and a neon city, in between underestimated and over-expectated, who I was and who I'm going to be. Sometimes I'm my mother's daughter and sometimes I'm her friend. Sometimes I play grown-up. Sometimes I play pretend. Sometimes I'm a press, a princess dressed in ribbons and all curls. And sometimes I just want to scream, I'm not a little girl. Dumb enough to think I know it all. Smart enough to know I don't. Young enough to think I'll live forever. Old enough to know I won't. I'm half head up in the clouds, half feet down on the ground. Because it ain't as simple as a number sitting on a page. When they say, at your age... But you're stuck there in the middle. Again, sometimes I'm my mother's daughter. Sometimes I'm her friend. Sometimes I play grown-up and sometimes I play pretend. Sometimes I'm a princess dressed in ribbons and all curls. And sometimes I just want to scream, I'm not a little girl. Dumb enough to think I know it all. Smart enough to know I don't. Young enough to know. Young enough to think I'll live forever. Old enough to know I won't. In between. And I just finished reading the lyrics to a song by Kelsey Ballerini. The title of that song is called In Between. In Between is my starting point, okay? That is my starting point. If you're new to this project, this is a personal journal where I process my inner and my outer worlds. I do so by using personality theory. The two theories that I use the most are the Myers-Briggs and the Enneagram Pushing those two systems together, I identify as an INTJ8. I also identify as an African-American woman from a lower socioeconomic background and from intergenerational trauma. I'm a trained and practicing educator and social scientist of about 30 years. Half of that time has been in leadership. Politically, I lean into tenets of critical race feminism, which basically means I have an intellectual sensitivity to social constructs of power, such as race, class, gender, sexuality, to name a few. This project is unedited and is unscripted. To know more about it or me, feel free to go to my website at yournidom.wordpress.com. So I'm going to do a little bit of housekeeping, um, just a little bit. Today is the 25th of November. It's two days after Thanksgiving, an American holiday, and um, I did an episode almost two weeks ago called Being a Grown-Ass Woman. I didn't, yep, that's what I titled it. I didn't spell it that way, but that's what it was about. Just this feeling of being making grown-up decisions and taking um, responsibility for my life, and uh, there was, that was a feeling that was on me, and so I unpacked that. The week before that, I did an episode on building a social map, and I think about kind of where I've been in season. I'm in season seven and doing a lot of reflecting on the social, and I usually talk about the social as relating to work. You know, I have a lot of complications with work. A couple of episodes will deal with, excuse me, a couple of episodes in a season will deal with family. Um, and then I don't know, I don't know what I normally talk about it over the season. I think a lot of it is just uh, a lot of, I think a lot of my reflections are inspired by complications from work. And um, some internal complications are learning myself 
And so it's what drives the project. Well, since I'm not working in that traditional sense anymore, I'm um, I'm not working in a space where, um, how do I say it, someone is controlling my workspace. I'm pretty much driving it for the most part. Got a lot of work still to do <laughs> before I can really celebrate being in complete control. But there's a fair level of control that I have about my workspace. And so I don't know if that leads me to not wrestle as much with the outer world. Because if I, when it boils down to it, if the outer world as related to work is too problematic, I don't have to do it. Um, so I don't know. I'm going to process that a little bit. But, yeah, I don't know. I think I'm feeling a little confused right now. Um, I'm feeling a little confused. Um, let me try to, let me hang in here for a second. So this season feels, this feels like season seven. I'm in season seven, which started in August of 2023. It feels like I'm doing more social. And it may not be true, but it feels like it's more social. Or maybe it's the type of social that I just can't wrap my arms around. And so I'm going to process this some, I'm going to process this some more because I think what's happening in my head right now is that there are different types of social, social family, social work, social friends, social recreation, right? All of that social. So maybe I need to be more specific. I'm trying to do intimacy social. And that's what I've been wrestling with this season. Social intimacy. Um, I just released an essay yesterday, an essay I've been working on for two years. And uh, it was around social. And uh, I'm proud of it. I know I have to do more with my writings and with my podcast. Like I, It's so fulfilling to produce it, to, to, re- to develop it and release it. But there's more work to be done, like marketing it getting in front of the right people. And so uh, I don't have as much passion for that. I don't have as much lust for getting my my creation in front of the right people. My lust centers on getting it out to take it from my inner world and bring it into the outer world. That's I have a lot of lust where that's concerned, but I don't have enough lust to... It's not just getting it in the outer world, but getting it in front of the right people. I think that's evident by this project, right? And I think I have a responsibility to do that. I just don't personally have the desire to do it. So I know I have the responsibility to get it in front of the right people. I just don't have the lust for it. And I say lust because when I lust a thing, I persevere, I persist in it even when there are obstacles, right? Because it's just the, the desire is just so strong that it controls me. And I just don't have the lust to to do that. So one of the things that I've started doing, I'm really, really excited about it for business, is that I'm working on building a team. And uh, I've gone through two, two other iterations of trying to build a team for my business over the past 20, 25 years. And so one kind of team is when you hire, you build a team and you hire and they're your employees. That's one type of team. Then I hit a place where I didn't have the money. I didn't have the revenue to do that. So then I had to build a team based on volunteers. And that's a whole learning curve for me. 
to engage the right type of volunteers. And even when you get the right type of volunteers, there's a certain way you have to engage them to keep them coming back to offering their talents for free, (laughs) you know. Uh, So I'm now at my third iteration of learning how to do a team. And this iteration is building a team of freelancers. So it's in between employees and volunteers, right? These are people who are choosing to come and help me. They're not obligated, but they're not working as volunteers. And so I'm really excited about what this means, um, uh, what it means uh, for me to engage them and to engage freelancers, but what it also means for me as a manager of that and what is that infrastructure going to be to have a team of freelancers. So, for example, if I need somebody to provide administrative support, I'm learning, and I don't know, we'll see, we won't know until I do it for a while, and I'll come back and share with you if this plan is really the right plan. I'm pretty sure there's going to be some calibrating along the way, but if I need an administrative assistant, in the past I would have hired an administrative assistant, and then they would have been on payroll, and then that would just be something that they would just be there to do. And so more than likely there would be these these regular staples, these activities that they do on routine, and then it would be incidentals, incidental projects, projects, and then day-to-day work. So let me say that differently. There would be routine work, and then there would be project-related work. And there's a lot of work to, to keep maintaining that, making sure that they understand this is your routine work, and then to build a structure so they understand the projects. All right. Then for volunteers... Trying to get volunteers to do both routine work and project work as volunteers. I mean, I shouldn't have to explain that, but that's not easy. Uh, I had a lot of hit and miss. I did, I had some success, but more, more not, more unsuccess, if you will. <laughs> um, but that's okay. And so now as, as I'm working with freelancers, um, and I'm just at the start of it, like I'm just getting ready to engage a second person on the possibility of doing some freelance work with me. Uh, I started a month ago with one. But the whole point is, if I wanted to get an administrative assistant, what I'm trying to do now is to have, to do two things differently that I'm going to get out of this rabbit hole. Number one, to not focus on routine work right now, to not engage a freelancer on routine work, to engage freelancers on project-specific work. And if, if that goes well and we start learning each other, then moving into having them do some routine work. But for now, I'm focusing first on project, whereas before I focused on routine work and then I went in and moved in and tried to engage them in project-related work. Some of you are probably like, lady, I don't really care about this. But just in case you are an entrepreneur or a creator in the world and <laughs> you're similar to me and you have to build a team. I just wanted to share that. And that's part of my reflecting. This is part of my process. But anyway, <laughs> and so I am, I don't even know why I fell into that rabbit hole, but I think I was saying that I am more in control of my social work, if you will. Uh, 
And so there's that. Uh, and now I'm, tr- but I'm really struggling with social intimacy. Um, so anyway, I don't know why I fell into that rabbit hole, but all the same, I'm very back out of it. Um, but it's been two weeks since I've recorded an episode. And, uh, the last one, like I said, was two weeks ago was being a grown ass woman and just really basking in the fact that I'm making decisions. I'm, I'm doing better. I'm, I don't have it perfected, but I'm doing better at making decisions around my authentic self as opposed to who I'm supposed to be, who I think I'm supposed to be, or I'm trying, trying to be like really, really trying to hone in on who are you? Who are you really? Like, let's just, first of all, pay attention to that. Who are you really? Zero in on that. Celebrate that. Anchor it and build a world around that person. It's been so much. I've been doing so much dress rehearsal. Building up, uh, building it and dress rehearsal. And I think some of that's necessary. But, but I think in season seven where I am right now is trying to build a story around my authenticity. And that is an interesting place to be. I'd love to stay right here, but that's kind of where I've been. And so, uh, I didn't do an episode last Sunday. I don't know why. I just got off. I think I, I got off. I think I had, um, when I say I got off, I, I got off my schedule. And I think I didn't have the privacy that I needed. And so I, I didn't record. And I was like, well, I'll do it, Mon- I'll do it Sunday night. Oh, I'll do it Monday. I'll do it Tuesday. And then holiday happened. And I was just like, it is what it is. So it's a Saturday. I've been recording on Sundays. I might do one tomorrow. I may not. We will see. But anyway, that's housekeeping, okay? <laughs> just wanted to let you know it's been two weeks. Um, a lot has been happening. A lot of learning, as as is always. And I'm here to talk to you about in between, okay? All right. So I just read a song to getting into the reflection. I just read a reflection. Uh, excuse me. I read lyrics from a song by the artist Kelsey Ballerini. And I think, I, I don't know if I said this already, but she's a country artist. Nope, she's got a lot more pop in her. But she's she's class, she's billed as a country artist. Uh, she's seen her range as a little bit higher. She's a little bit outside of my comfortable, my, my range as a singer. But I love her lyrics. I love, I love the melody. I love her songs. And so I stretch myself to sing those songs. And I do. I sing them. I don't. I don't usually have to drop a, a chord to go down or up. Uh, but I do think it's a stretch. I don't think it's, I don't think when I sing her songs, I don't think it's in the sweet spot of my voice. But it is what it is. It's just, it's just karaoke anyway. So what difference does it make? <laughs> but anyway, this is a song that I've been in, uh, been following for a few years. And uh, I just have never push myself to sing it, to learn it. But this morning when I woke up, I woke up with a feeling of in-between and really feeling challenged by this feeling of in-between. And something said, go look up the song Kelsey Ballerina to see if her lyrics speaks to, if her lyrics speak to what you're feeling. And they don't really. 
but the, the, the general theme of the song does speak to it. You understand that the overall theme of the song speaks to what I'm feeling, but not the specific lyrics. So in, in her song, the lyrics are just talking about, but I love the, the, the part about the relationship with her mother. Like sometimes that's the perfect line. Sometimes I'm her daughter and sometimes I'm her friend. And I don't know the lady. I don't know if she made it. I maybe didn't even write those lyrics, but how whoever wrote them, I, I, it resonates with me because when you're your mother's daughter, you have to reverence her as mom, right? We give our, give our mother certain respect as mothers, as parents. And there's a power structure there, mother, child, even when you become an adult, there's a certain a respect, a power dynamic, and you submit to that. Mom, you're the authority. You're the if I'm a child, you're the adult. I'm the child. I have to submit to that. But when I become an adult, I still submit to the respect that I'm supposed to give you as my mother. The uh, respect that society dictates, that you dictate, and so there's a submission there as an adult child to a mother, the adult da- an adult daughter to a mother. And the song also says, but I'm also sometimes her, her friend. And when you're friends with somebody, you're more peerish. There's not a submission in terms of submission. I don't know another way of saying it. The power dynamic is different. Now we can submit unto one another as friends. But it's, it's more on the equal playing field. It's different from the power dynamics of parent-child, mother-daughter. So to go in between this place of submission and peership, it's, it's confusing. It's confusing, but there's a bouncing back and forth. That's what I'm, one of the things I love about that song. It's that, that there's a different relationship, different expectations, and then it requires me to be different. I love the part of the song where she says, I'm half, my head, half head up in the clouds, half feet on the ground. That, that definitely speaks to me as an N.I. Dom, right? N.I. Domness, we're imaginative. We go in our head. We live in our heads. We live in ideas. We live in abstraction. And then that inferior S.E., extroverted sensing, makes us realize that we are a part of a physical world. But we're not always there. We're not always in the physical concreteness of it all. We're mostly in our head. But there's this dance between the head and the ground. And I think that song captures that. I think the song also captures this in-between of success. You hear me talking about my business, right? And trying to build it. And for me, and I'm going to talk about lust again, for me, the lust of building it, I, I think I talked about that two weeks ago, building a, a, a life, I'm a builder. And I think I said this too, and I won't go off into it, but I think I, 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 liken, my, <laughs> I liken myself to Donald Trump in being a builder, you know, of real estate. And that was back in the day before we, before I knew of Donald Trump as I know him now. Uh, but there was that kinship. <clears throat> And there's a desire for building a thing, 
building an empire, building the work. And for me, and I think I talked about that in my writing, building the, building the, building the book, <clears throat> writing the book, writing the blog is more desirable than the work of selling it. Although I do have some pleasure in selling and marketing. And that's what's interesting about me. I actually do have some desire. But in terms of my true lust, like I will only market and sell when it feels right. I don't, but that's different from when I'm building. Because I'm going to build a thing even when it doesn't feel good. Because the feeling good comes from building and that's not how I am with sales and marketing. I do sales and marketing when I feel good. It doesn't make me feel good. But writing makes me feel good. Do you understand the difference? Anyway, so she's talking about her her journey as this musician and as a country artist. And some she says, uh, between a I don't know, let me find those lyrics. Hold on. Okay, she says Hold on. In between, in between a guitar and a Grammy. Oh my God, that line is powerful. That guitar is going, is the production of it. The Grammy is the reward, the recognition, the outer world recognition, right? To produce the song with her guitar, to create it. But then to get to that level where you get mass recognition through a Grammy. And she's stuck in between the two worlds. And she says, uh, in between a fling and a ring. And you meet that person. You're hanging out. You're not at the place of a ring. You're not really just sleeping together. Or hanging. You know, you're not doing that hanging out anymore. There's something more to this thing. We're not... Yet at marriage, but we're not just hooking up. Found out that my cousin is actually getting, got proposed to yesterday. And he went to my aunt and showed her the ring and asked, asked her for her permission. I thought it was so amazing. It's an interracial relationship. My cousin being black and being white. So that's, that's a fascinating situation. That I'm excited about and also want to process. <laughs> um, so there's that. Then this song she talks about being a, a grown up, and sometimes you're a little girl. And I, what I like about that line is that for me, sometimes society positions you as a little girl. And they make they infantile women. They make women helpless. We are not our, we can't think for ourselves. We can't solve our own problems. We need help. And we make us a little girl. But then sometimes we're women, you know, when you want to sexualize us, we're women. When you want to control us, we're little girls. <clears throat> so I just, I love that song, right? I could just keep going through all of the, the ways that she's juxtaposing being. I'm supposed to be this, but I'm also that. I'm having this experience, which is different from this other experience. I'm having both of them, and I'm pinging in between. 
And, uh, and so it's just a good song, even though the lyrics don't speak to what I woke up to this morning. It's still a very good song that really shows that sometimes in life, and probably more often than we recognize, we're in between. We're a journey. We're journeying to a destination. And we're no longer where we once were, but we're not where we're trying to be. So who are we when we are in that middle? All right, you guys, it took me 24 minutes to set that up. <laughs> Hopefully you got something out of that. <laughs> so anyway, so let me tell you what's going on with me. Uh, oftentimes when I tarry like that, when it takes me a long time to get into the pocket of the reflection, that means it's difficult. and It's a topic that's difficult. And so nonetheless, here it is. I'm still going to circle the drain a little bit, so just bear with me as I try to get inside of the reflection. I also want to tell you I'm dealing with a little cold. And so yesterday I was in the bed all day. The day after Thanksgiving, I was a little worried because I started having a scratchy throat. And uh, the night before, I didn't want to spend a lot of time sitting next to my 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 person because she's sick. But I was I just thought it was, I didn't know it started coming on me later, and so the next day I was like, "Oh, went to bed." I woke up. I said, "I'm I'm sick." So anyway, I feel a little better today, and so but you, I got a little raspiness, a little congested. I'm not trying to be sexy. <laughs> so anyway, so yesterday, two days ago, I was with family and um, at the holiday, and. Um, I really should celebrate it. So it was difficult. It was difficult. But what I really need to do is celebrate the fact that it was not as difficult as it has been in the past. In the past, being in time with family has been devastating. So much to the point that I avoid doing it. I just don't, I bypass it altogether. And I think you all know, if you remember back at Memorial Day, for Memorial Day, for Mother's Day in May, and then Memorial Day in June. Those are two holidays in, in, in the United States, at least. And, uh, I, it was turbulent. And I did some reflections on that. And I was honest in those reflections. And I believe in those reflections. I was like, I'm not doing group anymore with my family. I'm not going to be with them a group because it's problematic. There's a hard thing for me to live out because my person is sick and I don't know how much time we have. So my person relishes in the group. So if I'm going to spend any time with my person, it's going to be in the group. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's a difficult thing. That's a difficult thing to do, to navigate. So I still have cut back tremendously in doing group family group time. Tremendously. I'm really proud of myself. That's what I'm saying. It's there's a there's a lot that I should celebrate. Um, and I don't know. I don't know. I don't really know what I'm supposed to do. I have no idea what the answer is. And that's the thing about being a grown up. 
See, when you're, when you are subject to someone else's authority, they, they take all the blame, all the responsibility. So they make you do something because you have to, and then it doesn't go right. You blame it on them. But when you're the grown up and you're making the decisions and you make the bad decision, you can't blame it on anybody. You have to own it. And that's, that's what I'm trying to do. That's what I'm trying to do as a grown up, but I'm also acknowledging I don't know. I don't know what the right thing is. I don't know what the right thing is. So I play. I play back and forth. You know, sometimes I'm a grown up. Sometimes I'm my mother's daughter. Sometimes I'm a friend. Sometimes I play grown up. And sometimes I play pretend. That's a lie. Sometimes I play grown up. Sometimes I play pretend. Sometimes I act like I know what I'm doing. And sometimes I just fake it. I just fake it until I make it. So I was with I was with the family on Thanksgiving. I I didn't the family supposedly starts eating at two thirty. It used to be two, it got moved to two thirty. It didn't make it to four. <laughs> and uh that's my person. She doesn't know how I don't think she knows how to time it just right because I think she's also basking in the, the excitement of having people around her, you know, so she's enjoying herself. I, I'm, that's fine. I think the people who get upset because she doesn't cook the meal on time should step in and help out. But, uh, uh, they don't. So anyway, and if I push her to try to get it to, you know, that's all hell's going to break loose. So I don't touch it. So I feel a little protective of her a little bit when people complain about the food not being ready on time. Like, well, it is what it is. <laughs> you know what it is. So anyway, when my grandmother was alive, I would have been in the house the whole time. Like the whole excitement of cooking together. I would have been there. I have a little guilt about not being there to be a part of the the pre-celebration, if you will. The going grocery shopping, the, the prepping the meal, cooking the meal, hanging out in the kitchen and bumping up against with people, you know. And my person, did, she, she asked me to come. And uh, out of self-care, I I had to put a limit on that. No, no one really understands that. And so I'm pretty sure the future me is going to deeply regret that. I'm going to re- have regrets on it. My heart coach said I'm going to regret it one way or the other. I think I told you this before because I told a friend of mine I, this, and, I, and my friend didn't like that comment. My friend didn't like the fact that the therapist was like, you're going to regret it one way or the other. She said, you don't have to regret taking care of yourself. Well, maybe I will. And I just hope that when that time comes, I'll be gentle on myself. And to know that it wasn't a decision I made lightly to to self-care. And so... I went to the grocery store and I, 
I went to, there was a dish I had to make. I made the dish in my house and enjoyed that. Uh, when I went to the grocery store, I also picked up some food, some extra food and cooked that. Wasn't part of what I was asked to do, but it, it was kind of like last minute. And I did that. I was, I was proud of that because I'm also known in my family as being rigid and not flexible. I've been thinking about rigidity, flexibility, and agreeableness. When am I agreeable? When am I disagreeable? When am I flexible? When I'm not? When am I rigid? When am I open? I've been thinking about that because I think in some spaces you can say I'm rigid. Very much so. And in some places I'm not. So that when I encounter another person being rigid towards me, I'm struck by that. Like, why are they rigid? And I'm like, oh, but you can be rigid. Well, I'm not rigid in that way. It doesn't matter if you're rigid in that way. You still can be rigid. It could be, so when am I? So one of the ways that I'm rigid is with my time. But that comes from this, this desire to not be manipulated, exploited, harmed. And so I protect myself from that by putting boundaries on me, some controls around me. And it comes across as rigid. But what's really happening is I'm not allowing you to manipulate me, exploit me, and control me. Um, I just had that situation with a client. It was a really interesting, and I'm still unpacking it because it's very recent. But from, I had to acknowledge that I, the client said, you said, you told us no here, no here, no here. I was like, that's true. I did say no there, no there, no there. I did, I did do that. But in my mind, that wasn't about me being rigid. Not at all. But when the client gave that back to me, I was like, okay, I see that. I, I'm not going to deny it. I can see. I did say no here. I said no there. And I said. So what it forced me to do is saying, well, what actually were you saying no to? And then what were you saying yes to? See, and that, and I'm not going to. I pray that I don't fall into a rabbit hole. But with that client, there was a yes that I had that they didn't want. They didn't want the yes part of me. And the yes part of me was what we agreed upon for me to work with them, for me to be your your consultant, your your contractor, and for me to serve you. You needed a service. I had the skills to do it. And I went into that relationship. But when I got in that relationship, I was discovering, right, because this is another thing I've been processing, Covert agendas. See, an overt agenda says, I'm going to go back to administrative skills. I want you to provide some administrative support. That's the agenda. That's what I want you to do. And I can say, yes, I have the skills to do that. I have a desire to do that. So, yes, I'm going to come and offer administrative support to you. That's an overt agreement. The covert agreement. Mm -mm. 
The covert agenda is, I said I want you for administrative support, but I really want you to do X, Y, and Z. And if I, I've talked about this a little bit already, then this is a political, it's political and it's complicated. Um, the short end of it is that this particular client, uh, racialized me and wanted me to do the work that pertained to students that they had racialized. So they had racialized some students. And they didn't know how to handle the students. They racialized me, thinking I was going to come in and handle those students. But there was something more happening (laughs) in that environment that I was attending to. And (laughs) we didn't agree that wasn't the overt agreement that I was going to come in and handle those students, those racialized students. So out of 100 kids, 60% of them, let's say 50% of them were black. You wanted to limit me to those students. But you never said it overtly, but covertly. The message was there all the same. Now, interestingly enough, this actually relates to the family conversation. Okay, I, I don't know how to. I don't know how to. I don't know how to delve into that without getting nuanced and then getting into a lot of storytelling with you all. So you just have to trust me that they they map onto each other in a very similar way. That people will bring people will operate in this overt with the overt agenda, uh, a visible agenda, a stated agenda, but there's also a unstated agenda that's running in the backdrop. There's a hidden agenda, unstated agenda. So then, if I had to prep, I didn't prep for this conversation, but there would be a way to prep for how do you, how do, how does that happen? Like, you might, listening to me, if you don't have a background in the social sciences, you may not understand how that happens. How do you have a stated agenda and an unstated agenda? And how does the... How do you move that unstated agenda forward? How do you move that hidden agenda forward? Right? There's a lot of manipulation, a lot of psych, uh, psychological games you play. You play with yourself, not, and the subject, the, the object of the person that you, that, you, that you're trying to manipulate. It's a fascinating, it's fascinating to be quite honest with you. And maybe one day I will prep to explain that. Hold on, let me see if I can give some, because that's interesting. Hold on a second. Okay, I'm back. <laughs> I've been, I put you guys on hold uh, because I went to go, I just was curious about the word manipulation. I was like, we say that word, what does it mean? And what does it, like, what does it mean? How do you define that? And 
out of my staples, my books, you know, I talk about my books. And that those those books that I have, not on the bookshelf, but in baskets, um, for four of them I went to, and I, not not one of them had the word manipulation in the index. So that was interesting. So I was like, huh, that's interesting. What role does manipulation play in, because most of my books are about learning and development, right? So manipulation was in any of those four books. So technically manipulation then doesn't mean it's not, it's not a, it's not a positive mechanism for learning and development. I guess that's a, a fair deduction. So I was like, well, but I'm, I'm invested in know what manipulation means. So I went to the Internet. I went to Google, and I got an uh, article from Psych Central. And it's really good. So there, it talks about um, manipulation being, uh, hold on. Wait a minute. It's interesting that this particular article that I'm looking at gives the definition of manipulation at the end of the article. And then the article is about seven types of manipulation. What's the actual seven types of man, seven tactics of manipulation or whatever? And they don't give you the definition of manipulation to the end. So I'm going to read that. Manipulation is coercive or unethical behavior driven by the goal of exploiting or controlling another person for your own personal gain. And so what it, I was, I've had you guys on hold again because it took me down another rabbit hole of what's the difference between manipulation and influence, manipulation and coercion, manipulation and control. Um, because manipulation is a type of influence. It really is. But influence is where you, both parties get something out of the act. Manipulation is where it's self-serving. So <clears throat> I guess I'd love to spend some time studying that because I think it becomes a fine line in terms of trying to decide if somebody's been being manipulative or not. But I, I like that idea if, 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 I think that's a good marker, right? Manipulation is self-serving. Influence isn't. Um, I think another way that I would just delineate between the two is to say influence is about the stated agenda. Manipulation is about the unstated agenda. I think that's how I would discern it. Because if it was, that's why you have to manipulate. Because we're not on the same page as to what our goal is. So I can't tell you what I really want to do, but I need you to do it. I can't tell you what I really want you to do, but I want you to do it. So if I can't tell you what it is, but I need you to do it, then I'm going to become more manipulative, deceptive. But if if you and I agree that this is what we want you to do, I'm going to... I, and you might need help getting there, but I'm going to influence the environment to kind of help you get to that destination that you and I both agree upon. And so that's all I got for that. But anyway, that's what was happening in that client situation, that they wanted me to uh, deal with the, the the black students because they couldn't. And I would I'm here for that. But the way you didn't want me to deal with them, the way it wasn't that just that you wanted me to help the black students. You wanted me to handle the black students. 
the way that you felt. You wanted me to discipline them. You didn't want me to empower them. You didn't want me to develop them. You didn't want me to encourage them. You didn't want me to support them. And that's when it became problematic. There's a whole lot I can say to that. And there's a lot of research out there that indicates the, the, just the, I want to say the etymology, but just the origin of that behavior. That's not what this reflection is about. But <laughs> I don't even know how I got in that rabbit hole. So I'm going to just jump back somewhere talking about this family situation. And so I think what I was saying is that I don't, I, I didn't, I didn't participate in all of the, the festivities. I didn't, so I stayed home. I took, I cooked the food I was going to cook, and I got to the desk. I got there, and and I, so I got there at about three thirty. They weren't waiting on me. <laughs> we were supposed to be there at two thirty. I knew the person was going to be late. I got there at three thirty, and then I um, and we ate about four four thirty. All right. That was fine. I was fine. Um, it was a really, oh, I'm sorry. There were two events. We had a prayer service for my, my person that's sick. So I really, I really liked that idea. So Wednesday night, we did a prayer service. So I was with them two days in a row. And that was okay. Was it comfortable? Was it comfortable? But I think the part about the part that I want to celebrate is that I know enough now about that environment. I know enough about myself to regulate myself in that. If I become dysregulated, I know how to regulate myself. I know how to take care of myself in that environment. I don't have unrealistic expectations and I know how to Oh, I know how I fell in that rabbit hole about manipulation because I was talking about being rigid. <laughs> that's what I'm like. And that's, that's it. That's one of the ways that I manage myself from being manipulated. I become very controlled over my person, myself rather, my time, my words, my intention. I own that. I control that. I can't control you, but I can control me. That's how I fell in that rabbit hole about manipulation. That's exactly it. So that's one of the tech techniques I use when I go into an environment that is problematic. So that's growth, right? On the flip side, I don't, it, it, it's not, it's not a win though. On the flip side, I, I am perceived to be dis- difficult, disagreeable, right? Rigid. Because nobody understands. And maybe, and maybe they do, right? It's, uh, that's, that is so fascinating. But anyway, I, God, I wanted to say something about that. But anyway, so. I did that on Wednesday. I came home. I could have stayed the night. My person asked me to stay the night. I was a little tempted to, but I was like, ah, 
we better we better take care of self, right? And on the surface, it looks pretty benign. Oh, we could just stay tonight. But you know you have to do things for self-care. So I went home to my house in a world that I've created for my own wellness. And the next day, I got up and I finished cooking. And I went there right around dinner time. And I hung out there and I hung out later. And I came home. And then yesterday I was sick. So I stayed. I stayed in. So. On the surface it was a win. <sighs> yeah. I think I'm going to say that. On the surface it was a win. It was, a, And it was a real win. Because in the past, I would have not been as regulated with myself. And I could have been pulled into the drama script. I did an episode called The Drama Script. right? And that's when the drama is going to happen in either way. Because the, 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 the environment is grounded in drama. It's formed by drama. It lives in drama. It thrives in that. And so there's a script that creates the drama. It's a script that creates the drama, maintains the drama. And in the past, I would have been an actor in the drama. I don't do that anymore. I'm pretty good at it. I'm pretty good. I would give myself about a 90% effectiveness. The flip side of not being a part of the drama script is that I'm not connecting Because in that environment, that's intimacy. The drama is intimacy. That's the, that's, that's the most intimacy you're going to receive. That's the most authentic, that's where authenticity resides in the drama. And so when I pull, when I learn to pull myself out of the drama, I no longer have authentic, intimate connections in that environment. And I think that that's okay. But it feels like a loss for me. And I feel like the need to connect it to the song again, but I don't know how to. So you guys just let me fumble here because I think I'll be, once I get through this reflection, I'll be able to talk about it in the future. But right now, this is an emerging thought. Hold on. In... In between a fling and a ring, in between an apartment and a front porch swing. I didn't give you that line. I didn't expound upon that, but I love that line too, because in an apartment, you kind of just live there. But in, when you have a house with a front porch, a front porch, then you aren't just living there. You're thriving. You're relaxing. There's a difference between living in an apartment and a house. A house is, embodies more of you. The apartment isn't really where you live. It's like a, a station where you drop off your things, you're covered. But you're not relaxed there and breathing, breathing and leave it living. I'd like to expound on that. I'd like to linger there, but that's all I have for now. But that's what that line represents to me. In between an apartment and a front porch swing. God, that's a brilliant line. And so I'm in between that. I'm in between knowing 
that 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 drama script doesn't work for me anymore. It never worked for me, actually. But I didn't know any better before. I didn't know any better. And so I did it. I played a part. I played the part. I played my part. I was a character in the drama script. And then the part I played required a lot of, it's not required, it contained a lot of harm and pain. And so then I then would act out that emotional piece for the, oh, the bigger system. That I was going to be the one to, to act out the the feeling part. Now, I, it, this is my 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 family system, and I would pre- I'm prepared to go toe to toe with anybody on this. I just need to spend some time studying so I can articulate it better. But I, I'm pretty confident that I got this right. I just don't have I can't articulate it clearly yet. But. In systems theory, and you guys have heard me talk about it, the system has a feeling. The system has a need. And then it targets certain parts of the system to fulfill its duty so the system as a whole can function as it needs to. Well, I played, I had a part. And part, and the part I played was the suffering part. Until I stopped playing that, for the most part. And this idea of playing the part that's suffering has made me, I've been thinking about Enneagram. And you guys never heard, you don't really hear me talking about Enneagram 4. You ever ask, it's some, you'll hear me talk about 8, obviously 8 and 5. And 2, because that's my growth part. And then sometimes you'll hear me say um, 3, because there's an achiever me. Right, so in that heart cluster, you have the two, the three, and the four. So I'll, you'll uh, you'll hear me mention a two because two is part of the growth plan for the eight. You'll hear me talk about three because I talk about being a tri-type eight five three. Rarely do you hear me. I won't say I've never, but rarely will you hear me talking about the four. The four is in the heart. Now four is the type that suffers, that feels different. All right, you guys, I've had John Hope because I wanted to go look up the four because I just haven't really done any diving into the four. When I first got introduced to the uh, Enneagram, the four actually resonated with me. It was a, I don't, it was the first one that resonated with me. Um, but when I, I didn't test it, I just read all of them and I was like, oh, that feels like me. That uh, was also when I was in the heart of the root that, that second 10-year relationship when it was bad. And so I was in the midst of these negative feelings. Um, I think that's why the four resonated with me um, a lot. But I think the four also captures when I'm in the, like, what it's like for me when I, when I talk about being in, like, in a deep place of darkness. And um, I don't live there. Uh, don't live there at all. I mean, should say that. Well, I don't live there, but I haven't lived there in a long time. But when I did live in the four, if that's a thing, I was living in the four. But as I read the the, the type four, it, it there's 
so much of that doesn't rest, represent me. It's so fascinating. I'd like to, I could spend a whole episode talking about it. But here's what I want to do. Cause I want to make, I want to get back to my point that I think I'm, believe it or not, I think I'm actually in a place to start closing soon. Cause I've started uh, touching on a lot of the nuance. I kind of backed into this reflection, but anyway. All right, you guys, uh, there's so much in this for, uh, text in the, this book that I'm looking at. Uh, the Complete Enneagram, 27 Paths to Greater Self-Knowledge by Dr. Beatrice Chestnuts. There's so much here that I've never looked at before. So I'm I'm really distracted. I keep putting you guys on pause and just reading and just fascinating that it's opening up some pathways in my head uh, for some reflections. And I just I can't do it all because I do need to start bringing closure. Um, but we'll see where this reflection takes me. I'm sorry if it's disjointed. I want to read the beginning of the Type 4 uh, chapter 8. Type 4 represents the archetype of the person who experiences an inner sense of lack and a craving for that which is missing and yet can't allow for the attainment of what might provide satisfaction. This archetype's drive is to focus on what is lacking as a step to regaining wholeness and connection. But through an overfocus on the experience of a flawed self, they become convinced of an inner deficiency that prevents fulfillment. While this entails an understandable frustration with regard to deprivation and overwritten, excuse me, an over-identification with the frustration deprived state leads to an inability to take in that which would provide, would provide fulfillment. That's so perfect. That right there is all I need to say. That, let me see. This heightened focus on what is lacking and desire for the thing that's lacking but the inability to see what's present and to embrace that, right? So earlier in the reflection, I talked about really building a social. That's what I'm really working on, learning how to do. I got to learn it, though. I, I, I can't do it until I learn it, right? So there's the learning it, and then there's the application of the learning. I haven't even finished learning this. And for me, building a social life based on who I am authentically in a positive way is what I had to learn to do, what I have to learn to do, right? Because I'm trying to build, I was trying to build a social life based on who somebody told me I was supposed to be, who I, who I didn't want to be, right? Like uh, even the parts of me that I saw, they were problematized, right? And so really finding the positive me and building a social life based on that is it's an undertaking. It's something that I have to learn to do, right? So in this text, I think I, it's, that speaks to me that for so long I focused on what was lacking. I focused on me being the problem. And I, if I had time, I would... And I've, you guys have heard me talk about going through two seasons of depression. One was severe, though. And I think that that second season was kind of like the aftershock or the afterwave of the first season. I don't know if that second season was really a season all on its own. Could have just been the aftermath of that. Um, but I waited a long, 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 long time before I allowed myself to say that was a season because the season was so long, you guys, that I thought it was just me. I thought it was just me. I did not know that was a season. I just thought that that was just me, who I was. 
And so when I wasn't functioning in that darkness, I thought I was just having a little bit of a reprieve. That the darkness was really me. This reprieve, this light, this is situational. This is just a moment. I'm going to go back into darkness. And the darkness never came back. In and even, yeah, it just didn't come back. And I watched for it. And right after my dad died in 2021, I talked about it in this project. I was like, you guys, the winter is coming. It's going to be dark. I might slip into another dark depression. I didn't know. I, I definitely think I, I, I've grief. I'm in grief. You know what I mean? I definitely think that there's sadness there. I definitely think that there's depression there when you lose somebody. But I'm talking about that deep darkness that I was in when I was in my 20s early 30s, my mid to late 20s and early 30s. It was deep. It was devastating. And so I've waited. I've waited. I've waited for it to come back. My, I just have waited for it to come back before I claimed that that was a season. It was very scary for me to say that was a season because I'm like, what if I say that was a season and then it comes back? Okay. I really wish that I could emphasize that point because that's an important point. But it hasn't come back. And it was a season. All right. It was a season. And so that's relevant. Um, that's relevant in so many ways. But I can't, I can't, I don't know how to drive it home. But when I was in that toxic relationship, it stirred up all of that darkness. Brought all of that darkness to the surface. And what was interesting or ironic about it is that it brought all of that to the surface while at the same time I was learning myself. I was learning myself. I was discovering those positive aspects of myself, my true authenticity, right? What I had a right to do. So there were two things happening at the same time in that relationship. I was learning me and it was stirring up the darkness. So when I read the Enneagram, I read that four, I was like, oh my gosh, right? And it, it's the suffering part of the four that resonates with me, that that when I say resonates, that I'm remembering the most. I'm suffering, I'm supposed to suffer. God put me on this earth to suffer. That's all I'm supposed to do is suffer. Mm-mm, 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 no. Not at all. So I don't suffer my family anymore. I've done a lot of work of studying. The drama script that I, the part I played was the, the character to suffer. Now I've played a couple of places. And now that I think, I mean, this is fascinating. When I think about those three heart roles, two, three, and four in the Enneagram, so if you're not familiar with the Enneagram, there are nine personality types based on three emotions, three parts of the human experience, the gut, the heart, and the, the brain. So in that heart cluster, you have two, three, and four. My personality type is eight. I'm in the gut cluster. I'm in the body cluster. Uh, but, but the theory goes in the Enneagram that we should flow through all nine of those numbers all nine of those emotions in a healthy way and not get stuck there. And so I have spent a lot of time studying what had, what created the suffering 
And what is my job? What is my responsibility to avoid the suffering, to come out of the suffering, to not get pulled into the suffering? Now, I also got pulled into the achievement, the three. I'm going to achieve. I'm going to be an achiever. And it's not going to get respect. And uh, that was a way I coped. And that's how I got love by achieving. And then I went through a phase where I was like, I'm not achieving anymore. And unfortunately, this is the part of me that existed when my dad died. And he was like, I don't understand. What are you doing? Why aren't you doing the things that you say you wanted to do? And I said to him repeatedly during that season, I said, I am learning to just be that I'm okay if I never, if I never achieve another thing, I'm already enough. I've done enough. And having people around me, I had a, two people actually said this to me. My aunt and my half sister, one of my aunts and my half sister said, what's next? You have to, you have to keep doing things. And I was like, no, I don't. I don't have to keep achieving for what? To be respected, to feel loved, to be valued, to connect. I don't have to do that. I'm already enough. So I stopped achieving because I was trying to make the point. I'm already enough. That's why I came out of the three. So I did the four. I did the three. And I think, honestly, I think I have bastardized the two. If I'm honest, I've bastardized the two. And the two is a protector of other people. They're going to nurture other people. I'm going to love on you. And I got introduced to the two by being in supervision, being in leadership, having a team, having people I'm responsible for, taking care of them. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. As an eight, that is part of my wellness to be able to protect others who can't protect themselves. I'm okay with that. But I got caught up in a fawning that I was doing. Over caring for people. When number one, they didn't ask me to care for them. They weren't respecting me to care for them. They were, right? And I'm going to show you I can do it. And no, I didn't. And I didn't live there long. But I did go there. And it's something that I'm watching. And I don't do it. And here's the fascinating part about it. I don't give people, everybody, that two part of me. That protective part of me. But it's in spaces of intimacy that I get stuck there. Or I get confused. That's when it becomes bastardized. So I've just been paying attention to who I am. Who I fawn. I'm just... I'm going to, I'm going to overflow, let you know how great you are and how I see you. and I'm going to build you up because I have that as a gift. It's part of my work with empowerment. I can see, I can look at every, anybody and see the good in them. I know what, I know how to see it and I know how to speak life into it. That is a sweet spot I have. That's my superpower. But everybody doesn't deserve that. And based on this idea of manipulation, when you're in a relationship with someone, it should be mutually beneficial. 
And when I was doing the two in an un, this is how I know when I'm doing unhealthy two, that it's not benefiting, benefiting me. I'm acting it out. So that's interesting. This is just a new, it's just a thought that I just haven't spent a lot of time with, not consciously. I think it's probably been lurking subconsciously. So anyway, I know I've been in multiple substreams, manipulation, um, the Enneagram and the family story, but that's what happened. I stopped playing the script of sufferer and the person of achiever. I stopped. So I was a sufferer first. And then I learned how to survive in that environment, that that family environment by being the achiever. Well, when I stopped achieving, then who am I? So it's it's like a a bystander. Like I'm there, but I'm not really there. I'm connected. I'm not really connected. And that goes back to the song. I'm stuck somewhere in between. I'm here, but I'm not here because I don't have a part in the script anymore. Intentionally, willfully, I've decided to not be in the script. But deciding to not be in the script is now deciding to not be in the family. So I don't have a belongingness there. So I am like a bystander. It's fascinating to watch. So as a bystander, I go in there. I try to remain as authentic to myself as possible. And then I leave. And for the most part, I'm proud of that. I'm proud of that. I am family. But in this family script, there's not a positive place for me to be in it because I'm not going to be the sufferer. I'm not going to be the achiever. Not a, not a bastardized achiever. I'm going to be authentically me. I'm a creator. I'm an advisor. I'm a developer. I'm a teacher. That's authentically me. And if that environment doesn't have space for me to be creator, advisor, developer, that's fine. Then my time there is limited. Okay. That's okay. (laughs) You guys know what I'm like. It's fine. It's fine. (laughs) You have to go back and listen to some other episodes to get that, that joke. That's the fine joke. I've talked about that enough. But here's the part that I woke up with this morning. And I think I'm going to try to close here. My relationship with my sister, it's problematic. And I've slowly come to, I'm coming to terms with that. I don't know what to do with it because I don't know what to do with it because she's my sister and I don't even know what's real anymore because my sister and I are operating off of a script. I don't know. 
and I live in fear. I feel in fear of recognizing the script. Like I want to ignore that script. I want to just ignore it altogether. I can't control it. And I think to confront it would be devastating. It would be violent. Not physically violent, but emotionally violent. And I don't know if it's worth it to confront it. Because at the end of the day, what's going to happen? If at the end of the day, if I confront the script and that, and it just means that we, we fall apart and we fall out of relationship with each other, then do I need to go through the violence? I could just pull back. I can go into the five part of me and just pull back. You guys have seen, heard me talk about the Homer Simpson, that, that meme where you see Homer moving back into the bushes, like, I'm out of here. <laughs> And that's kind of what I've done. As an eight, I go to the five in an environment that I can't make it what it needs to be. And I'm going to fight like hell to make that environment what it needs to be. That's just what I do. And then when I realize that I can't do that, I can't fix this environment, I back out. I regress. And that's how I'm feeling with my sister. I feel like I need to regress from her. And I feel guilty. And you've heard me. I've been, I've been processing this little by little. And I think the hard part here is, this is the, this is the, I'm going to curse you guys. So I'm going to do a heavy here, a heavy swear word. So leave the, get the kids out away from the audio. Um, but the fuckery of it all, it is a soft mind fuckery. Because you're operating on two scripts. Look how close we are. We are so close. Yet every behavior is showing something completely different. So the overt script is the script that's stated. The stated agenda, the stated script is look how close we are. We are so close. And then the unstated behaviors are exclusionary, disdain, half-attentiveness. And I, for the most part, have been functioning that she's doing that. It's unconscious. I don't know that I believe that anymore. And I don't even know if I care. Like, like I, I want her to be well and happy. And if she's doing, if she's functioning in a way that makes her happy, then that makes me happy. Because that's how much love I have for her. My love overrides my pain. I, I can do that for her. I will do that for her. But while I'm doing that for her, I'm going to love myself. I'm going to tend to myself. And I'm going to say, sis, that world that you're happy in is not good for me. There's that song, this love is bad for me. I sang it for you all. Did I sing it for you? 
I think I did a song. Oh, I did a song episode where I did some singing. But it was, uh, oh, I sang This Is My Temporary Home by Carrie Underwood. But this other one, This Love Is Bad For Me. Who sings that? Megan Trainer. This love is bad for me. <laughs> Cranks me up. I'm going to get more and more comfortable. This is the authentic me because I do live my life as a musical. And so when I bump into songs that are relevant to whatever I'm going through, I'll start singing it. And so I have this urge to do that in this project. And then I don't because I'm not a singer. Then you definitely can't just, I can't break out of this song. And if I do, it's just horrible. But anyway. That's just me becoming more and more authentic. So just bear with me. <laughs> but anyway, it's all, she says, this love is bad for me. And that's the thing. And so I think in the last two years, I'm learning, I'm watching my sister blossom and thrive in this world. That is not good for me. But yet, I'm trying to fill out this script that we are close and there are so many signs. I have to write this out. There's so many pieces of evidence. And so it's sucky because she's my sister. And much of this stress is, it, we were created, it was created for us. The script was created for us. It was created for us from the beginning. And we've maneuvered in it. And I really thought, I thought that we had tackled it we haven't but this is where it gets confusing for me because it's like have we have we tackled it and it's just something wrong with me I can't we're really close and I just don't feel it that's what my heart coach tried to say maybe maybe you people are close to you you just don't feel it maybe maybe I'm broken like that and I just can't feel the closeness the worst thing you can do to a person, though, is to take their subjectivity away. The ability to say, I feel, I think, I see. When you take that away from a person, that's oppressive. And I can't say, hey, I don't feel this. You know, that's the worst thing you can do. And worst thing that I can do is to give in to that, that lie that I don't have a right to have my own subjectivity. To say, this is not closeness. But that's that's what I'm battling. And I woke up this morning and I thought that this reflection was about my family. I don't think it is. I think it's about my sister. Because I think I've come to terms. That's what I'm saying. I, there's a lot of celebration. But there's a lot to celebrate as it relates to how I interact with my family. Very proud of being able to take do self-care. I'm nope, I'm coming over here at this time and I'm gonna leave. I'm gonna be re regulated. I'm gonna have boundaries. All of that's to be celebrated. And then the, this 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 closeness that I have with my sister. It's just not the closeness that is that I the way I define it. Maybe it's the way she defines it. I can't take that from her. I can and I won't. But it's not the way I define it. So I'm going to say this. I promise you I'm going to close. I, uh, 
Oh, well, one of the things I did this morning is I was looking up Flying Monkey. So I wrote a piece that I, I released a piece that I wrote, been working on for two years. I released it. I shared it with the family. Nobody in the family. Only two people said something. My uncle. And he said he was going to check it out. And then my sister. Because she knows. She See, the thing is, my sister and I have had conversations about the script of the family. We've talked about this. But somehow that family script is feeding her. But I don't think it's fully feeding her. I think she's caught in the middle too. I think she's caught in some in-between place as well. She's got to work out her own journey and I've got to let her do that. But what she's, how she's working it out, I don't know. I, I don't fully know. I don't fully yet know, but there's a part of me that suspects that her working it out is working it out through me. I can't explain it. So I made a comment. Oh, kind of like, so when I make a comment and nobody says anything in a thread of 20 people, then she jumps in and she makes the comment. So to cover up the void of the silence. So I, I share a piece of myself in that that space. Why would I do that? That's a good question. That's something I, I got to. So remember I said I'm, I'm, I'm proud of myself for a certain, like in terms of the physical space, I'm struggling with this digital space because part of the digital space is one of the things I've learned to do is play the game, right? I learned there's this thing, uh, Patrick, can't think of his last name, but he's a therapist on YouTube. I reference his work a lot. He talks about families having cheap intimacy. They act close, but it's really this cheap intimacy. I've learned that. And I'm like, oh, that's what we're going to do? That's what, that's how we play the game? That's how we're going to play closeness? Oh, this, this thing called cheap intimacy? So I've learned, I've been learning it. So I do it in the, in the thread. I don't, I try to, I just do cheap intimacy. I say things that, that are not fully meaningful. It's not of depth because that's just what you do. Why would I do that? That's a good question. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to own that and, and, and hold myself accountable for that. I don't have the answer to it. I'm just being really honest. So I've been doing that in the thread. I've started doing that because I, I can't come out of it. Every time I try to delete myself out of the thread, I get pulled back in. The only way I'm going to be able to come out of that thread completely is to block everybody. That's a major, major decision. I don't really want to do that. And I told my sister to take me out of the thread before. And she didn't want to. And I really wish there was a way to take me out of that thread. I think I'm going to just, maybe that's the assignment. Cause that, that's what I have to figure out. Like how to, if there are other strategies of pulling myself out of that thread. Because I get pulled into that thread <laughs> Then that's what happens. So then I'm like, oh, okay, I'm here. I got to play the game. Let me, let me do this cheap intimacy thing. Let's perform it. And it's just not me. And then I show up authentically and then it doesn't work. And then, and then my sister notices it. And then she jumps in and tries to fill the gap, the void. And what she's doing is blocking She's preventing that void for me to be able to have to confront it. Maybe she's doing it to try to make me feel better. 
That's one thing, but I don't think she wants to see it herself. That's what I think it is. So I called her. And as soon as I called her yesterday about it, she starts saying, well, so-and-so said she doesn't get responses. She was very much, and I don't get responses. I was like, what are you doing right now? But I couldn't find the words to explain to her what she was doing. And I didn't also know, I don't, I didn't even know her mindset for me to explain to her what she was doing. And then I also had to check myself. Do I have a right to tell her what she's doing? Do I really have a right to do that? Probably not. What is my, what are my rights in that situation? So I got up this morning and I looked up flying monkey because that was the word. It's come to me with her about her before. And the flying monkey, it does the bidding of the narcissist. So the, the flying monkey isn't really the narcissist. They will do the bidding of the narcissist. And, and pulling you in, pushing you out. And I, I, I don't have any more to say about it. I, I, there's a flying monkey effect. And I need to name it so I don't get caught up in it. And then the last thing I said is, one of the things I thought about this morning is like, you're going to forever be in that freaking loop in that family structure. You're never going to be able to conquer it. The INTJ me feels like every puzzle can be solved. Every puzzle, every, every situation is a puzzle. It just needs to be solved. You're never going to solve that family dynamic. Or you're going to, how you've been solving it is not working. But I did, I was like, to get to keep going back to this place like I'm just going to remove myself. I'm never going to talk to them again. That doesn't work because I haven't cut everybody out. The only way that's going to work is I have to go cold turkey and leave everybody alone. I haven't wanted to do that. I love my family. That's not the solution for me. I don't want it to be. And the last thing is I don't know how to go and build a new family. I don't know how to do it. And I suspect I don't know how to do it because I haven't built, been built with the skills of functioning in a healthy environment. So all I know right now is self, self-protection. I know how to, I know how to fawn. I know how to fight. I know how to freeze. I know how to flight. That's it. Those are the only, those are the four ways I know to show up in intimacy. Fawn, flight, freeze, flight. I don't know another way. So I can sit there and say, oh, I'm going to leave that alone. I'm a social being. I don't know how to build the family and be a healthy person in this, in the newness. I'm trying like hell as I build this new life. So the business is coming along. It's slow, but it's steady. But the social part as it relates to the intimacy part. Because I got the other, I got the social in my life. I got to celebrate that too. But I'm missing out on the in, the intimacy. And so it puts me in this interesting place of in-between. I'm no longer where I was. By far. So much to celebrate. I'm no longer where I was in terms of my employment. In terms of my, my ability to take care of myself. My ability to stay out of harmful environments. Got that. I haven't yet figured out how to go into a healthy environment and be and be a healthy contributor to that environment. Because I can't go and find a healthy environment 
and be all stanky, if you will. Right? I can't take shitty into the new. I got to learn that. And I honestly don't know how yet. So I'm in between. In between just a swing and a ring, in between an apartment and a front porch swing, in between cheap and fancy, a guitar and a Grammy, in between reckless and responsibility. I'm between reckless and responsibility. My recklessness, my recklessness is slowly fading. It's still there, but it's fading. And it's fading fast. But I have to lean more into responsibility. And I've been doing the responsible thing about my survival, now about my income, being responsible there. I got to learn how to do responsible intimacy. I have no idea. I don't have a model. I don't have a map. I don't know how to do it. I want to. And it, guess what it means? This is what I love about it. It means I can love every person in my family. But I have to accept that that's not the love that they, they, they only know how to do the love they know how to do. I do want to give you these seven tactics of manipulation because I brought it up and I didn't mention it. Guilt tripping, lying, flattery, Projection, moving the goalposts, triangulation, and love bobbing. I have to go to YouTube to break those down. But you guys, it's been a, um, if this reflection has had any value for you, please give it a heart. If my moving about has caused some randomness and you, I'd love to hear it. Please share this link with someone if it's related to a conversation you've had with them. Let me, I don't have time to give an assignment, but it's been a pleasure hanging out with you. I'm so sorry, you guys. Uh, until I come back, be well. Bye.